there's four main keys in vending. There's in this order, there's locations. You need the machines, the service and pricing. You know, we've been crushed with the inflation, a can of Coke going up 30% in one year. So those four things, you, you, you nail those four things and that's how you make money with vending machines. Welcome to another episode of the Upflip Podcast. I'm Alex Freeman, your host, and today I'm talking to Adam Hill, owner of Hill Vending. He bought the route eight years ago after leaving his corporate career. Today, he sold millions of products from his machines and makes an average revenue of $50,000 a month. Best of all, that income is largely passive, letting Adam work part-time hours and spend time with his family. In this interview, Adam shares everything you need to know about how to start a vending machine business. He'll talk about what machines to buy, where to put them, and how to track and manage the machines once they're in place. Let's get right to it. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to be here. To kind of kick things off, when and why did you get into the vending business and what career were you in before? Yeah, I was uh, 24 years old. I was working in a Hyatt Hotel kind of corporate world. And uh, they want to kind of bounce you around to different different places. I'm here in Tampa Bay, Florida. I kind of like it down here in paradise. So I decided that um, I didn't really want to move around a lot. Basically, long story short, met the gentleman who had the vending machines at the hotel I was working at. And he had to move life situation. So ended up buying his vending machine route and get started that way. How much did it cost to buy the existing route and what other initial expenses might have existed when you acquired the route? Uh, he was a one-man operation at uh, doing it full-time. He already had a box truck, machines and storage, kind of a forklift. It was 120000 and but he owner-financed half of it. So I went in with my brother and dad, each putting twenty in, so sixty for the down payment, and then financed 60000 over three years. But it came with I mean, a box truck with no AC and a lot of miles on it, but at least it was something to get started. What would you describe as the minimum budget for someone who might be starting from scratch? The first thing you got to do is learn learn what's going on. Unfortunately, there's no high school course or college course on vending machines. Um, they need to either link up with the program we've got or some someone in their area because you, it can go downhill real fast. You know, I see a lot of people online buying $300 machines, a lot of big time people on YouTube recommending that that kind of path. And unfortunately, I've been down that path. That's going to uh, really crash and burn and they're going to lose all their money. So get educated. I can get people who come in my program financing through different vehicles, zero down financing. So basically you finance 100% of the machine, put it on location. The revenue from that location makes the machine payment, kind of like a real estate, you know, renter pays the mortgage kind of situation. So you don't need a ton of money. It's obviously good to have probably five, 10,000 for expenses that may come up. Can you lay out specifically some of those financing resources that exist? Click lease is one. I've used Firestone Financial. Those are a couple off the top of the head. Vend lease, just Google vending. Um, if you Google vending, you know, financing, they, they're basically equipment. They loan on equipment and you just would make the payment to them. When you acquire the route, did you make any changes right away? Or did you just kind of start out by just rolling with the route as it was? Yeah, my main objective was to kind of understand what was going on first. Obviously, vending machines are, you know, they seem simple, but there's a lot of intricacies that go into coffee vending machines, snack machines, drink machines. So the first couple months is you're jumping all in and trying to figure it out. The gentleman did stay on for a month to help train and show me the ropes. So that was good. But after that, then you're kind of on your own and, and get started. So 
when you when you did start to make changes, what were some of those initial changes and, and why did you make them? Yeah, unfortunately, in the first month or two, the largest location uh, that he had on the route was probably 30 or 40 locations total. He was grossing probably 140, 150 in gross sales. And the largest location, which probably accounted for, I would say, 25 to 30 percent of the revenue, decided to kick us out or to kick me out since it was mine at that time. And they wanted to do the vending by themselves. So talk about a, you know, a low blow right there, just got kicked out of a location, the biggest location that we had at the time and all because they wanted to do it. And it was, it was machines outside of an office, office park and they had the cafe and they wanted to get some revenue from the vending going forward. So to lose that right off the rip was definitely an eye opener. And, you know, but when, when you go all in, like I kind of did when you're, I'm, I wasn't dabbling. A lot of people dabble in it when you sign the note to pay back your family and a, and a man you don't know, $120,000, you got to figure it out. Had to figure it out along the way. And eight years later, say I kind of figured it out. Is that a uh, loss of location the, the biggest risk that you face as a vending machine business? Pretty much. Yeah. Because if you're if you have a location and you have a contract, it's just a service agreement. There's no real you know, set in stone, even if I've taken over like a nursing home location that had a four year contract with the current vendor, they were in year month three and they kicked them out. So it's just a service agreement. You know, at the end of the day, if, if they want you out, you're not going to be able to keep your machines in there. It's their building or their property. So that's that's kind of how that goes. Is maintaining those relationships the most difficult thing of, of operating a vending machine business or are there other things that new owners should be prepared for? There's four main keys in vending. There's in this order, there's locations, you need the machines, the service and pricing. You know, you have to have all four of those working together. So location, you have to have a good location or if no one, if there's no foot traffic going by that location, doesn't matter if you have great service and great machines and the best pricing, right? So all four of those play together. You kind of need all four of those to, to be successful. And most of the time, what I see with, you know, people who DM me on Instagram or TikTok or whatever is they're not even aware of what they don't know yet, unfortunately. So location, first off, you need a minimum of 50 people. This is just me talking from my experience. You need at least 50 people to pass in front of that machine per day. So whether that's employees, customers, whatever it may be, at least 50 people for it to be a viable location. The machines, after buying and you know selling a lot of different machines, brands, there's a lot of brands out there. I've settled on a couple. AMS is a brand that I love for snack machines and Vendo, the 721 series. If anybody's looking, those are by far the uh, the best machines that I've ever used. So you get into trouble if you're piecing together five different brand vending machines that you don't know how they work at a location. Nothing's interchangeable. You don't know how to program it or price it. You're having constant issues. You have to get your machine game tight. And I don't care what brand you pick, but you need to stick with a certain brand, you know? So it's kind of like a car analogy. If you have, a, it's like the county, they have fleet vehicles, all Ford, all Chevy. You need to keep, keep your fleet tight. So your parts, your inventory, everything that you have on deck is, is streamlined. So locations, machines, service. And then like you're saying, talking to the accounts, the service aspect of it, when they call, how soon are you going to be there? When they call and say that, you know, somebody put gum in the machine or whatever, how soon are you going to fix that? And that is the biggest problem with the vending industry is uh, service. There's a lot of fly by night mom and pop operations and they don't focus on the service. And 
as easy as you can get an account, you can lose it based on poor service. So, um, and then finally, the pricing, especially now, you know, we've been crushed with the inflation, a can of Coke going up 30% in one year. Unfortunately, you have to raise your prices on, on your customers. You know, candy bars going from 60 cents to now 90 cents. There's, you have to make sure that you're not just filling machines and making, not making a profit. So those four things, you, you, you nail those four things. And that's how you make money with vending machines. When you were first getting started, what was the biggest mistake that you may have made? And, and what did you learn from it? And how, how can other business owners avoid it? Biggest mistake I made was going, trying to do too much at one time. You know, I should have spent time to learn. So right now, my focus is snack and drink machines, break rooms, you know, car dealerships, nursing homes, snack and drink. When I started, there was an ice cream machine. There was a coffee machine. I was doing bulk delivery of to hotels for their convenience stores, doing so many different things and not becoming proficient or excelling at any one led to a lot of mistakes. So that's the biggest mistake I made was spreading myself too thin, trying to do too much too soon. Before the opportunity presented itself to buy an existing route, were you interested in the vending machine business? Or was this sort of a a happy uh, circumstance that just presented itself to you? It just presented itself. I actually, you know, I had no prior background. You know, none of my family was in vending or anything like that. It just, I was, you know, young and wanted to I figured I can always go back and get a corporate job if it doesn't work out and make <laughs> make monthly payments. So it seemed the the reason that I was I liked the vending is because it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. There's a machine, product, pricing, in and out. You know, you, you fill the machines, you get the money, you go to the next machine. And when you're done with your route, you can go home for the day. Not the corporate job where you get there at eight o'clock and you're done by noon, but you have to stay till five o'clock. Whenever we get done with our route, we can go home, you know, so it's not just being on the clock just to be on the clock. If you're proficient and excel at, you know, getting your route done, then you can go home. So what are some of the pros and cons that you feel of of buying an existing business as opposed to to starting one from scratch? The benefits of buying is you already have an established location, right? You already have the machines there. You don't have to worry about sourcing machines, installing machines, getting it set up. All you have to do is it's turnkey, just run the operation. So to acquire vending locations that there's really only two main ways. You can either buy an existing route or, you know, sales as far as door-to-door call, try these, you know, vending locators. But those are really the only the two ways to acquire routes. And most of the time, a lot of the, the gold mine accounts are, are taken. There's not just a 400 person account that's waiting for someone to put machines in. They've either made a call and, and solved that problem. So we've bought routes. We've, we, that's how we've grown the, to the where we are is from sales and from acquiring. And for our listeners out there, if you want to see what vending businesses might be available near you, you can check out the business listings at upflip.com. When you go to acquire those machines, can you talk a little bit more about about the best place to get vending machines and and kind of rough costs and what entrepreneurs should be looking for to make sure that they're getting quality equipment at a good value? Yeah. So the, the first thing is, like I said, I would look at the brand first. You know, those AMS and Vendo is a snack and drink brand. Those are the ones that I would recommend. And then you just would find a distributor in your area. There's a distributor uh, right in our county. There's one in Georgia we've ordered from. Just check and see whoever has the best price. And, and you can kind of go from there. It's just you would check their website and make sure 
once you know and have some experience with the machines, then you can go, you know, like we do on Facebook Marketplace or, you know, offer up and, and purchase the brands that you like. But when you're starting out, it's it's best to know what you're getting and then uh, try and find deals later. So go buy, find distributors, uh, an actual machine distributor in your in your town or area and and go in there and talk with them. Are there any particular features of of the vending machines that a, a business owner should be looking for? Does that depend on like what type of vending they want to be doing in their locations? Yeah, like I said, so I just do snack machines and drink machines, but the key features, especially now 2022, it has to be credit card capable. You know, you have to be able to put a card reader on there because we have locations where it's, you know, 70% of students and Apple Pay, Tap Pay. 70% of the sales are through the the card reader. So when you're looking to purchase a machine, definitely having a being card reader capable is a is a must. And you can still buy machines that are, you know, 20 years old that don't have that capability. So it's it's definitely a must have. And then on both machines, there's a there's a feature called iVend or you know, SureVend or however you want to, they have different names for it. But basically it guarantees the delivery of the product, not like your old 19. 19- 60s machines that it'll spin and take your money and people rock the machine. It has a little mission impossible laser beam at the bottom of the of the chute that guarantees that product comes out. So people aren't getting mad and, and, and saying they need a refund. It'll tell you to make another selection. So those are a couple of key features that people should look for in, in, in this time to on the machines they're buying. And besides the machines themselves, and I, I presume either a, a van or a box truck of some kind, what other equipment or tools does somebody need to run the vending business? So it depends on how, how in-depth you want to get, right? So we have a forklift now. We have a pallet jack to move machines. We have all the equipment. If you're just starting out and you want to make a couple thousand extra, you don't need to invest that money into all that equipment. Just pay someone to move your machines when that happens. Uh, you don't need a you know 2,000 square foot warehouse to keep all your product and buy pallets of soda. You know, when I started, I just had that box truck I parked in my driveway. I kept extra product in my in my living room, you know, cases of drinks that I got a deal on. So I would start small and make sure that, you know, it's something that you want to do, the vending. But really what I teach people is I, I protect them from the downside. I tell you to buy a quality machine because even if you decide to get out of the vending business, you'll be able to resell it at a great price. Whereas if you buy some cheaper machines, you're going to get scalped and and lose your entire investment. So, but yeah, there's definitely a ton of different items you need as far as carts, as far as you can do it out of a, a van or SUV. You don't need a box truck or anything to get started. But as you grow, you know, you'll, you'll come across certain, certain tools that'll make your, make your life easier. You know, I didn't expand into a warehouse until I was going to Sam's club twice a day in the morning and evening. Now, I can have all the product buy it at a pallet at a time instead of pushing carts around Sam's Club. So when when you get to the point where it makes it more efficient, your operation, you'll kind of know when that comes and that time comes. Was was hill vending profitable right away? Um, And if it wasn't, how long did it take to reach profitability? I mean, I paid myself a salary like three grand a month initially, you know, live on and then just dumped all the money back into the business. It was cash flow you know, positive, even losing that location because you can go get other locations initially, but it wasn't a, you know, huge moneymaker. It was, it was kind of touch and go. And I presume that would be another benefit of buying an existing route as opposed to trying to start one from scratch. Right. And, and there's, you know, I have a list of like 16 different uh, questions that you need to ask a prospective seller on the phone before you even uh, meet in person. If you don't 
buy at the right price, then you can get took to the cleaners, right? If you're buying a, a route, I just worked with somebody in California who was in the program and they were thinking about buying a $180,000 route uh, in California. And they got in the program. I went through the list of machines, like 85% of the machines weren't even credit card capable. So they were about to buy a route that had outdated machines. They were going to have to dump another 40, 50,000 and just to upgrade them. So yes, you can buy a route, but there's liability and there's booby traps along that way too. Fort Hill Vending, what is what is your current average revenue per month and what kind of profit margins are you seeing on that revenue? Yeah, we're between 50, 60,000, you know, summertime's busier. Uh, obviously people drink more uh, when you get into into the into the fall it drops down maybe 5, 10%, so not a huge fall off. So the the basic premise I tell people is it uh, 50, 30, 20 rule. So especially now with prices going crazy, but whether you do 1,000 or 100,000 a month, 50% earmark for product, 30% you pay out, whether to employees or yourself, and then 20% for miscellaneous gas, taxes, fees, credit card fees, etc. So every month, Hill Vending pays out 30%. And that's structured, you know, we have salary base and then bonuses based upon performance of the route. So for someone thinking, you know, how, how can I make an extra, you know, three grand a month, right? You'd have to say nine, 10,000, you know, 10,000 in sales, if you can bring in 10,000 in sales, you can pay out 30%. And those are conservative numbers, but that's a good baseline to to go with. Taking that a little bit more granularly, how does that break down per machine? How wide of a variance does that have based on the machine's location as well? Some locations that we have, we go to Monday through Friday every day. Some locations are once a week. Some locations are every two weeks. It just depends on obviously the volume. You don't want to over-service the machines and, and waste time putting in product that you don't need to. And on the flip side, you want to go to accounts that are busy and pull, pull the money out and, and make sure they're full. So as far as per machine, it's it's such a wide variety. We have accounts that do 6000 a month, 2000 a month, 1000 a month. It just depends on the location, honestly. The general average, like a solid uh, nursing home, let's say. So anyone in, in the country knows where a 120-bed nursing home should bring in two to $4,000 a month in gross sales with two to three machines. Now, you, you alluded to this just now, um, on the, the schedule for, for restocking and servicing the machines. Is that a, a very set schedule? And what would it take for you to adjust that? Like, does the customer call you and say, hey, the machine's running low, um, and that's how you add it onto the route? Or is it always every two weeks we're coming to this place? So once we get a new location, we, you know, we visit a few more times than we need to, but we um, you know, put it on a, on a route schedule based on you know, how much you get a feel for how much it needs to be filled. The last thing you want is a count calling you saying your, your machines are empty and you need to fill them up. So it's just an ongoing, you kind of monitor it. Sometimes they hire 50 more employees and you need to, uh, you know, you need to service it more often. So that it just depends on what's going on and keeping your finger on the pulse of the operation geographically, you know, in the county. If you have a, a wide area, you don't want to be driving north. 10 miles and south, five miles. You want to keep your route tight geographically based on what's clumped together. So a couple of different factors going into that. So tell me about what kind of systems you're using to, to manage your backend, you know, inventory management, the finances, and, and even workflow for, for all the different routes. So I have, you know, accountant and, you know, a finance kind of person who goes, gives me the numbers and the breakdown and all that. But um, really with the vending Excel spreadsheet, does a lot of it. You know, I run my 
business based on money in, money out. So I don't, I want to know at the end of the month how much the sales were, how much expenses went out, and then uh, what's left over. And then obviously what we have in inventory. You know, with the technology nowadays and the card readers, people can kind of overcomplicate it, in my opinion, vending. I'm trying to track the sales of every little item, how many cheese it's sold and how many snicker bars. And while that can be good, it's a lot of busy work. Basically, my overview is I like to, you know, as a percentage, what is our product cost as a percentage of the business? Where's our labor cost? That's kind of how I run it. So as far as uh, the systems, once once you have your route set on how often or frequent you're going to you're going to go to those those locations, you just kind of run the system and fill the machines, track your sales, track your inventory and and, kind of go from there. And talk to me about about scaling and growth, because obviously, you know, you've talked about how you've acquired some routes. There's obviously a sales portion. How are you setting growth goals? And and then how do you go about achieving those? So I'm at a point right now. It's So it's me, my brother, brother-in-law who work in the business. You know, I handle kind of all the back end stuff, the paperwork, moving machines, fixing machines. They're on the, the route front, you know, keeping the machines full and product stocked. I've talked with other people who have you know, multi-million dollar vending operations with, you know, eight box trucks and a bunch of employees. And they just express the the headache that comes with that, you know, all the, all the headache that's involved with em- all the employees and everything, all your trucks and maintenance and machines. And I'm not really looking to expand too much further, probably 70 a month would be a good goal that we'd like to hit to kind of cap out. But I really want the you know the freedom and the lifestyle that I have. So th- there may be another direction business wise to head. But really scaling this to multi million dollars is is not really what I'm looking to do. So this is going to bring us to a section of the show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. Uh, these questions come from our YouTube community channel. Those of you listening out there, go find Upflip on YouTube. Join the community, and you can pose questions to future guests. So these are going to be quick hitters for you. So here we go. RH is asking, how do you get locations to place your vending machines? Well, yeah, we touched on it a little bit. Two ways, door to door, go, you know, call on some accounts, go stop in or purchase an existing location from someone in your area. Those are basically the two ways. Scene has two questions, so I'll give them to you one at a time. Uh, First, what's the cutoff point for a slow or a low traffic location? Yeah, 50 people. Roughly about five hundred a month. If it's doing less than five hundred a month, you know, you, you kinda wanna move on. And then where do you source your card readers? I actually use Cantaloupe, but Nyack Nyack uh, is is another brand. And if you buy from them, use promo code Hill Vending, you can save seven percent off your order. Abdul Mosin is asking, uh, have you ever placed a vending machine in an outdoor facility like a park? And uh, if so, what are the pros and cons? Not a park, but I have had machines outside and they get vandalized, broken into. Would not recommend it ever putting a machine outside. Mostly cons, it sounds like. Yes, yes. Adam Orovitz is asking, uh, do you do any niche vending machines? And if so, what kind? Not really. I mean, the, the only kind of random thing, we have food machines where we sell some food items, but cigarettes, we have one account where we sell cigarettes through. So that's kind of a, a unique item. If aliens take over tomorrow, how would you convince them to let you keep running this business? everybody's got to eat even if alien even if it's the end of the world with people's last dollar they want a nice snicker bar and a cold diet coke last blitz question here what or who would you like to have as a mascot for your brand probably an alligator with a gatorade in one hand and a snicker bar in the other Oh, I love that. I love that. Those are the fan blitz questions. Again, these come from the YouTube community. Go 
Find us on YouTube, Upflip on YouTube, and join the community, pose questions for future guests. Adam, just a few more questions from me here. Can you share some advice on on adding a new vending account? A couple of things we'd like to know in particular, like, you know, connecting with the owners. How do you go about doing that? And then how do you gauge if that location and account would be profitable? Yeah, so this 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 gold nugget that I'm going to share, whoever's listening this far is is worth the price of admission. The problem most people have is when they go to locations, they want to speak to the boss. The boss is too busy. Vending is, especially if it's a quality location, vending is a low down on the priority of what they want to accomplish with their with what they have going on. And nine times out of 10, you're going to run into the gatekeeper and you're not going to be able to get through the gatekeeper. They're going to shut you down and then you're going to walk away. The person to ask for is the facility director, the maintenance director, whoever is the building, you know, they have different names the building maintenance supervisor or the superintendent, whoever you want to call them, that's who you want to ask for because that is the person that knows everything that's going on with that building and that does not have anyone knocking on his door to talk to him. So you talk to the lonely old maintenance director, he'll give you the time of the day, get in there, convince him, put your machines in, and then he will, it's like a Trojan horse. He will bring you into the decision maker. Can't tell you how many times this has happened. And it's not a one day process. You know, it takes a couple couple meetings to get this to go, but take your right in, you'll, you'll already be approved. You'll already be vetted by someone that uh, works there. And that's how you can kind of get a hack to getting locations. So you use that if you're trying to get locations. Now, can you just put a vending machine anywhere or what are the rules and regulations about placing vending machines? I mean, as anything that's legal, like I would assume you could put it where you want. I mean, different different towns and obviously California and New York City are probably going to have different restrictions, different licenses or little fees or little taxes that they're going to tag on you. But you can research all that, you know, your local city hall, chamber of commerce or whatever and, and see. But as far as it's as far as I'm concerned, you know, you're looking at secure like break rooms. I wouldn't be just randomly putting machines, you know, outside at different locations. So then who's making the, the call about what products are being stocked in each machine? Is that uh, do locations have a choice or is that centrally decided by by you and the company? They, they have a choice within reason. But after doing this for eight years and literally selling millions of dollars worth of product, there's a reason that Pepsi sponsors the NFL halftime show, Snicker bars, all this, right? Those are the items that sell. So we will accommodate to a degree, right? If If Karen wants diet cherry lemonade Sprite in the machine. But unfortunately, nine times out of 10, that does not sell and you're going to lose money on it. So whatever you're seeing, the big brands, the Lay's, Frito-Lay brands, Pepsi, Coke, Monster, those are the brands that sell. And we have a general framework that we use to to stock the machine. But of course, if if someone wants a, a, you know, a special request, we will accommodate if we can. How do you set product prices? I know that obviously things have been in great flux right now because of rising food costs, but how are you actually, you know, doing the math on, okay, we have to sell a Snickers bar for this price to make a profit? Obviously it's important pricing. Unfortunately, it can't be cut and dry because of the location, right? If it's a high volume location and you try to get your $2 a candy bar, you know, you're going to set yourself up for another competitor coming in and, and lowballing you. I'll do it for $1.50. So within reason, you you know, a, a can a can of soda is what, 30, 35 cents. We sell them for a dollar. So you 3X on your drinks, you know, candy bars, you may only be able to get a 2X, you know, markup. So you have more fluctuation on pricing with your snack machine because you have 45 different products. Whereas a drink machine, it's 
the same kind of there's drinks they're the same price so you can't use variable kind of pricing on that but your snack machine you can put in oreos or find a deal on oreos for 25 cents and sell them for a dollar 25 and then when those sell out you can find another deal so really on your snack machine is where you have the most uh, leeway to to get your margins up now i know that the newer vending machines make this occurrence a little less frequent but what is the process for when a machine breaks or eats someone's money how do you how do you handle that situation? So what we do is every every account we set up at the front desk or whoever the point person is, uh, a refund kitty of, say, $10 and uh, a list. So if, if Bob loses a dollar in the machine at 11 o'clock uh, at night, they're not wondering who they go to. They can go to the front, you know, front desk area, get their refund and instantly be refunded. They don't have to know who to call or, or look anywhere. And then when we come in to service the account, we can look at the list and see, okay, we had two refunds or something happened. But normally we'll get a call if it's if the machine is down, like jammed or something's wrong with it, we'll get a call and come out and uh, take care of it. Do you service the machines yourself or do you use a third party? Everything's mainly plug and play. You know, if you need a motor in the machine, you just would take the old one out and put one in. But when it comes to more in-depth repairs, I don't have, you know, that that level of uh, expertise. I just would uh, get the part, take it out, send it off to get fixed, then install it. So everything's kind of plug and play with vending machines. But as far as refrigeration deck, if a refrigeration deck goes out, I'll just pull the entire deck out, go take it to someone to get repaired and then put it back in. And then what are the kind of ongoing monthly average maintenance and repair costs? You know, your snack machines, you're going to have a minimal issue, obviously, depending on brand, if you buy quality. I can't tell you the last time a snack machine. I mean, you just wipe it down, make sure it's clean. Your coin and bill validators, you want to make sure there's no dust or debris in there. Your sensors are clear, but a snack machine is pretty simple and uh, turnkey. Your, your drink machine, all you want to do is make sure that that thing, the refrigeration deck is not getting a lot of buildup like your refrigerator, the dust and, and making it the compressor overwork. And same thing on that. Just make sure your coin and bill uh, validator is is clean. The sensors are clean. Now, how passive is the income from from this business? How many hours were you investing in the business when you first started? And, and how does that compare to today? Well, at first it was all me. So it was, you know, a full-time job for me, 100%. And then about three years in, my brother joined and then another couple of years, my brother-in-law. So now, you know, I don't have a full-time, I'm not on the route full-time. I can still jump in and, and assist, but I'm not having to do the route full-time. If I put the amount of hours that I'm actually working per day on the vending business that I, you know, had to put in, it'd probably be three to four hours. And you just, you just mentioned you started as a, as a one person operation. Um, how long were you going before you brought in that, that first employee? About three years. And how many people, how many people are working for Hill Vending today? Uh, three. So me, my brother, brother-in-law, and then my dad was part-time, just a couple hours. As a business leader, how do you determine which tasks to delegate and which to handle yourself? Yeah, that's a problem with most people, even myself, is, you know, you're a perfectionist and you can do it better yourself. So what, what to delegate and what not to, and I'm not, I'm not perfect at it, but um, you try to set the systems up so people can execute the systems and kind of go from there. So you make the system simple that people can execute and um, anything that's like, you know, not, not able to be systematized, I guess I, I, I do. What do you, what do you see as the, the long-term potential for a vending business and, and where, where's the industry grow, going over the next five to 10 years? I mean, I would say it's, it's going more automated. You know, I think vending already is the future and people, there's the micro market thing, the cafe micro market thing, which people are pushing a lot. I don't know how, how long-term that is, but 
you know, you already see Amazon Go or Amazon with their kind of market where you just walk in, pick up stuff and leave. So I think unattended retail is probably going to be here for a while. What kind of advertising or marketing are you doing for the business? So we're really, we run uh, some Google campaigns just in the local county to drum up some, some calls. But mainly we kind of have identified the targets in the area, the businesses and accounts that we want. So we kind of just direct our attention towards them and, and follow up with them and make sure they're happy or, or if they need anything. Not a huge campaign, probably 100 to 200 a month in, in Google is what we're running. And then you also you also sell a vending machine business guide and course. Can you talk about the value of offering that kind of educational content and and feel free to give a little overview of what someone might get if they were to take that educational content? Yeah, hillvending.com forward slash course. It's basically people were reaching out to me on TikTok, Instagram. How do I do it? Right. There's a lot of interest in vending. Basically, I you know put all the best practices in this. 80 plus video uh, guide, all the PDFs, downloads that I use, all the contracts, proposals, basically A to Z, what you need to know in a, in a course. And then on top of that, throw in access to to reach out to me, private Facebook group. Plus, you can call me for $500. So, I mean, it's it's a steal. You know, when you think about people are going to buy machines for $5,000, you might want to learn from somebody uh, for 500 bucks first. Yeah, it's just it's just packed with value. It comes with a thirty day money back guarantee. So if you're not happy, you don't lose any anything from it. You just learn. So yeah, check that out. Hillvending.com for slash course. If you could go back to the start of the business, to when you acquired the route again, with what you know today, what if anything would you do differently? I would walk completely away from that route. <laughs> I would not purchase that. No, hundred percent no. I mean the, the the no the machines were older. The the accounts were not established. Were not high volume. I would not definitely would not put that amount of money into it. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I would start clean. I would know what machines to to what fleet of machines to start with and kind of and just hit the ground running. But yeah, no, I definitely would not do that again. What, in your opinion, causes vending businesses to fail and what should a new owner do to avoid those mistakes? Well, the thing is, is different than me is some, you know, a lot of people dabble in it. I didn't dabble right, right or wrong. You know, I, I went all in and you know, that's good and bad. I went all in. Um, so I owed $120,000. So I couldn't dabble, right? I jumped off the diving board, however you burn the boats, however you want to say it. So people get in for a few thousand and then it's hard and then they get out. I, I didn't have that option. I'd already quit my job. I was already had to figure it out. So it forced me to to see it through and, and grow through that. Last question for me. What's your favorite business book and why? Uh, probably just Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, just, you know, just the foundational, uh, you know, bedrock book to get you to think different of the, the quadrant, you know, definitely recommend that one. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. Make sure you check out our blog where you can find more actionable advice on starting a business from scratch and growing it to six figures and beyond. That is at upflip.com slash blog or click the link in the description below. We'll have links to all the sites we mentioned in this episode. Adam Hill, Hill Vending, thanks so much for joining us. Awesome. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you.